This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. And doesn't drain us. So please enjoy my lovely conversation with the wonderful Beth Kempton. Beth, 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 welcome to the For the Love podcast. Just absolutely so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much to talk to you about one of my favorite subjects in the world. What a treat. Thank you. And just, you look cozy. Your wreath is cozy. Your sweater is cozy. Like you are literally like staring into the curve. Oh, I see your cup. Yep. Yep. It's a candle. I lit a a winter candle. Yeah. And I have my cozy cup here too, but so much of... So much of Christmas is atmosphere, isn't it? And it's so much atmosphere. And I generally start it in October. And so we're going to get to this. Now, I have told my listeners a little bit about who you are, but I wonder if you would take just a minute and talk to us about who you are and where you are and who are your people and what is your deal? That's what is your deal, Beth? So I live in a small, cozy stone cottage with a thatched roof in the southwest of England. A wonderful place to spend Christmas indeed. Spend a lot of the time out and about in tramping the fields and all of that, as well as making home cozy as well. I am a writer. I am a mother. I'm, I know that you will have shared lots of things about me, but to be honest, the older I get, the The more I know myself and the less I know which are the right labels or even care about the labels, (laughs) you know, all all of my work is about making the most of this precious life for me to do that in the work I do and also help other people do that. And sometimes it looks like books. Sometimes it looks like a podcast or courses or conversations. That's really what it is for me. It's all a big. What's the word? It's like an excavation. The, the whole of life and things just keep unfolding the things that we can't control and also the choices I make keep changing as my own life situation changes I think that this is a wonderful time of year to actually be thinking about that you know what what is it that who have I become this year who am I becoming it's phenomenal and I love your north star just making a meaningful life essentially and helping other people do it too what a wonderful metric 
And we can just constantly apply that. That is to me, sort of the substance of a life well lived. Mm. And I, I thought that we had a lot in common in terms of that. And then you said you start thinking about Christmas in October and well, we're kindred spirits. It's only, saw- listen, I want this. This is how you're going to give this to me. And this is how you're <laughs> going to give me this pass. I've only done that the last two years and only because my life imploded. That's it. Like, um, and especially that first year in 2020, my life sort of unraveled in July. And so I was just, we were just hanging on by tattered threads, me and the kids. Like October came and I told my kids and I'd never done this in my life. I mean, never, never, never. I said, guys, I mean, I do not know what else to do, but we are going to fill this house with some happiness and with some joy. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but I think we start by putting up a tree real early and let's start getting cozy. And they're like, mom, it's hot outside. I'm like, I know, and I don't care. And so this is a new thing that I'm doing. This was me saying, oh, life went really sideways. Is there any way I can grab the Christmas season by the tail a little early and extend its life in my household? So that's how I get a pass on that. That is so wonderful. And isn't it interesting that you turn to the symbols of Christmas, the tree, the lights, whatever, as comfort in a in a really difficult time. And I know it's up to everyone when they put the tree up, but I'm totally the same. If it that brings you joy. Why not extend it as much as you can? I have to say that the October thing was is is when my husband's out and my children have gone to school. I have the Christmas songs on at home on my own. In the house, it's November. But actually, when Calm Christmas first came out a, a while back, we did a photo shoot in September. So we went to the Christmas tree farm and it turned up and the lady was like, nobody comes here for another eight weeks. And we got her to cut down the trees for us. And we had a Christmas tree in our house very similar, um, you know, for a good 12 weeks before Christmas. And it was <laughs> cool, you know, just right. sit next to twinkling lights in the evening. It's just lovely. It's just lovely. And of course, it's for a lot of us reminiscent of years gone by and childhood and older, wonderful memories. And it really is, it just carries its own weight these symbols and what they've meant to us, what they mean to us now. I I love that you mentioned Calm Christmas. Of course, that's what we're talking a lot about that today. What I loved about your approach in that book was that sometimes around this time of year, I feel like we kind of get inundated with lists. Like here's all the things to do to make the magic. Like the the pressure to make the magic is high. And it's it's add these this tradition and this one and this one and and maybe you can start doing this and think about this. And it's this is already potentially an overwhelming season. And so the lists make me feel anxious and shut me down. But your work in Calm Christmas, it's more of a like a holistic inquisition into what does Christmas mean to each of you, readers? Like that's kind of, can you talk a little bit on how your experience of how Christmas really does mean something different and slightly unique to everyone? And maybe it's possible to just let ourselves off the hook of being the sole proprietor of Christmas magic in our families, which as a a lot of women feel that way about this time of year. Oh yes. I call it the keepers of Christmas. And And what's just so crazy is that we often work so hard to 
to do all the things to support the people we love in the ways that look like a tray of cookies and a beautifully decorated house and all that stuff. And I think an element of that is just gorgeous. It's a way of showing love. You'll know that cookbook author, you know, cooking for your people is a really big part of showing your love for sure. But I think because of the way we are surrounded by social media and advertising all the time and with Black Friday, it doesn't help. It's just a huge buildup of the commercial side of Christmas for weeks. So when we're talking about start Christmas early, that's not the commercial start Christmas early, listen to all those messages and get sucked in. This is create quiet and calm and coziness in your home early. And I think there's just so much comes at us that it you have to be intentional if you don't want to get sucked into it. And it was so interesting. I collect Christmas magazines. And the ones I collected in the pandemic were, there were so many features on taking care of yourself and nourishing yourself and all that, because we'd had such a difficult year. And then the 2021 magazines were all back to create the perfect Christmas, decorate this, bling that. And I was like, what happened? I'd been so hopeful that finally, you know, that one of the silver linings of the pandemic had been to have a different approach to this time of year. And it wasn't at all. And I think the reason it's so important to to think carefully about Christmas it's because it's not just Christmas Day. It's the whole of winter. It's the season that sets us up for the year that follows. The the impact on our mental health can be enormous. So there's so many reasons beyond just Christmas. And, And when I was writing the book, what I was really conscious of was I've loved Christmas all my life. My eldest daughter was born on Christmas Day. And as soon as that happened, I was like, Well, of course she was. I love Christmas. And I'm not saying that Christmas has never been hard. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But just I am someone who loves Christmas. I know that not everybody does. So I was really keen to talk to lots of people and make sure this wasn't just me saying this is how Christmas should be. This was kind of understanding what lots of people's Christmases are like. So I actually talked to hundreds of people from all over the world with all sorts of different backgrounds, asked them lots of questions that It was so interesting. It felt actually like a real honour. So many people shared very, very personal stories of this time. A lot of them incredibly sad. Actually, I was amazed by how many difficult stories there were. And I'm sure we get onto that. But the thing that really stood out to me was that there wasn't one single symbol of Christmas that everybody connected with. So not everybody puts up a tree. Not everyone gives presents. Not everyone eats turkey. You know, not not everyone even takes a day off. There were so many different things. But within the hundreds of responses that I had, there were these patterns that kept coming up. And they basically evolved within the writing of the book into what I call the five stories of Christmas. And every single person that I spoke to related to one or more of these in a really strong way. And what I realized was actually, it's a way for us to understand what means to us at Christmas and also what we can let go of because we don't actually care about it. And also a way to have really meaningful conversations with other people. Because the thing is, when I say Christmas, you have Jen's movie of Christmas running through your head, which is a combination of all the ones you've loved and all the ones that have been difficult and all the ones you wished you'd had and never did and all the hard things have happened and all those things. That's your movie. My movie looks completely different. And yet we say, what should we do for Christmas? And we, we're seeing completely different things. So it's a way to talk to each other. And it doesn't mean that just because we have this conversation, we're going to suddenly realise we think exactly the same about Christmas because we probably don't. But it helps us 
help the other person have the Christmas that they want and need and helps us ask for the Christmas that we want and need and find compromise and and all of that. So Mm. let's 100% talk about what you discovered are the five different stories of Christmas and, and what you found out, like how does naming our relationship to these stories help us ultimately kind of like you said, sort out our intentions for this season, what we want to keep and what we can like let go without any guilt at all. Well, I think the first thing that it does is tells us that Christmas has not been the same thing through the centuries. Christmas has evolved and it's different in different countries. It's different in different families. It's different for different people. And it's different through time, which means that we get an opportunity to be part of its evolution. So we don't have to do everything just because we've always done it that way. That's good. So the first one is the story of faith, which is the biblical story of Christmas, which most people will be familiar with. And the question is, how much is that part of your experience of Christmas and what matters to you at Christmas? So one way to think of it is if that wasn't any part of your Christmas, would you mind? Would you miss it? And so that's the first one. And it doesn't mean that you can only have one. Okay. I was brought up one way and have evolved other things as a grown up. So all permission given to, to associate with whichever you like. The second one is the story of magic. So that is Father Christmas, Santa Claus, elves, flying reindeer, all of those stories. And it's so interesting that these five stories can coexist. That's right. I mean, it's just, I can't think of any of them competing. (laughs) They're completely competing. They're all kind of in the pot, right? Yes. Yeah. And then we have the story of the Victorian Christmas, the Dickensian story, the story of connection. Really, it's about gathering. If you think of all the symbols of the Victorian Christmas, which is where many of the things that we think of as traditional Christmas things come from, so like the Christmas tree and gathering to feast and all of that. And Dickens actually very much created our Christmas. He wasn't writing down what was happening. A lot of it is that he wrote it and it became what our Christmas is. So how much of in your Christmas is that connection piece important? For some people, it's everything. For some people, they'd rather have nobody (laughs) around. Maybe and just one particular year, that's what they want. They don't want any people around. And then the next year, they want people around again. So this is something to come back to every single year, you know, and, and think, where am I? this year then the fourth story is the story of abundance so that is presence and generosity and charity you know people in santa costumes on the streets of new york and and all of that that's really important for some people less important for others it is all the commercial elements of of christmas but not saying that in a way that that has to be bad is very much about generosity as well and then the last one is heritage that's your own traditional like family traditions it might be your from your community it might be based on where you are in the world your the climate where you live can have a huge impact on the way that you celebrate Christmas so thinking about those five things and saying which is the most important to you which would you really miss if you didn't have that aspect in your Christmas I wonder for Jen for you Jen which is Mm. Uh, so interesting like you're saying each one and I'm going oh yeah I've got some of that (laughs) <laughs> and that one, Ooh, that too. It, it is interesting. You can, you can have 
elements of all of those, really, even the ones that seem or are seemingly in opposition. Do you have one that you that rises up to the top for you more? I do right now because I have two children, small children, mm. and it's magic. Magic. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And you can combine them. So it might be that you, for example, your great aunt handed down a particular recipe and that's the main thing that you serve at your dinner because gathering is important to you. You know, you can merge them. But I'm all I definitely in terms of a filter which I use to decide do I accept that invitation? Do I make that invitation? Do I spend money on that thing? Do I spend time on that thing? It's magic for me Mm. at the moment. I'm sure that will evolve. I remember that season. Oh. I remember that. So my, my youngest is 16. So oh. my kids are like 16 to 24. So magic is a little bit more in our rear view mirror. But I remember when that was the driver. I mean, that is, we, we built sort of around that narrative and it had its own charm. Faith has always been a through line for me, which is hilarious that I could also have Santa, but somehow <laughs> I found a way, but always been a through line. I think that I would probably lift up as the lead story, probably abundance. I I think, and I'm thinking holistically, like in terms of all of Christmas, like the whole kit and caboodle, not just the one day, the one day for sure it's gather. And and my home's the gathering spot. So I've hosted Christmas morning with my entire extended family for 20 plus years. And they're walking in the door by 7.30 AM. Like, we don't mess around. We're like 7.30, everybody be here. Like the kids are sitting in the living room, like I'm gonna give them 30 more minutes, you know? And and that's so togetherness matters too. But in the course of the season, I spend a lot of time and energy thinking about good gifts, thinking about giving. That's the time also when I'm thinking about giving to in my community too, in a special way and in the world really. And so, however, I could see some of all that. I've got some of my own traditions too, but it, it's helpful for me to hear you say that because I can, I can go, oh, we can hold on to some and release them later. Like something that was pretty prevalent for me 10 years ago, is it now? Or something kind of takes the lead position back and forth. I love that story. Did you find in your interviews and in your research, were there a couple that rose to the top just in terms of quantity of? No, 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 not at all. Isn't that interesting. It was. And it was so interesting. I did one uh, talk at a bookshop when the book came out and this lady brought her mother with her. And she said that they have really stressful Christmases and they can't figure out why because they all just want to have a nice time. And we went through this exercise in the talk and they they were just hugging each other and crying at the end going, now I understand why you've been trying to force Christmas this way and I've been trying to force it this way and why it doesn't work. So it's really great to do it for yourself, but also really lovely conversation to have with someone else. And, and even if what it tells you is, well, faith really matters to you, doesn't matter so much to me. And the symbol, you know, the thing that brings the faith to, to life for you is the Christmas carol service, for example. Like if you don't go to that, you feel like it hasn't been Christmas, then I can look at that and say either I am going to find the most beautiful, I'm going to take you to the Royal Albert Hall in London for candlelit carol service this year because it means so much to you. That's my gift to you. Or it might be that I say, I really, I don't like 
a Christmas carol service. It brings up certain memories for me. It's not fair to you that I'm the one who comes, but I know that your friend Sarah absolutely adores Christmas carols. Why don't I take you both? I'll drop you off. You can go for a lovely drink at the bar first, go to the evening carol service and I'll come pick you up and drop her home. <laughs> you can you can find ways. It doesn't mean it forces everything together, but it helps you understand what matters to somebody else as well as knowing what, what you want to fit in and, and leave out. And actually leaving out stuff is probably the most important thing for a calm Christmas. <laughs> I love this because so much of our interpersonal conflict just comes by unmet expectations. And so if we don't know what someone's expectations are around Christmas or if they're different than ours and we assume we're all a carbon copy of what matters, it's just fertile soil for disagreement or like disunity, but there's a way through that. And this is like a really good guide. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Ask to pro and go. Let me ask you this, Beth, because while we're talking about potential conflict around the Christmas season, there is, who even knows how many people listening who kind of have like an instant memory of maybe even last Christmas for Pete's sake, where, you know, you're the families around the table and you've been working and working, you know, Christmas generally falls disproportionately a little bit to the, to the mom in the household in terms of the Christmas labor and it's the cooking and it's the shopping and it's the wrapping and the planning and the, the million things. And then the family's gathered. Somebody just has to say something hard at the table, something that is just going to be like a little grenade right in the middle of like this moment. And so that none of us want that. We all want to avoid that feeling in general. And so I'd like to hear your thoughts. I mean, talk about a calm Christmas. We want that. We don't want an argument around the table. We don't want to feel resentful or begrudgingly toward our family members. So can you talk just a little bit about what you see as helpful, useful, reasonable, practical, maybe boundaries? How can we set ourselves up in advance? Like, let's not just hope this happens to us accidentally. How can we set us and our families up in advance to have a connected, calm Christmas? I mean, what a fantastic question. You've really reached the nub of it already in the question. It doesn't, it's, it, you don't fix it at the table when the grenade is dropped. And you probably know who's going to drop the grenade and what it's going to sound like because it's dropped most times that person's invited, right? So it, it begins so much in advance. And, and for me, 
it begins in a cafe or in an armchair in a quiet part of my house with a cup of tea and the question based on the year that you have just had what do you what kind of Christmas do you want and need this year that question to yourself is the first nothing to do with anybody else that's the question for you oh I love that and to answer it with one word between a and Christmas a something Christmas, a calm Christmas. It might be a, a, a riotous, joyful Christmas because of something that's happened. It might be a, you know, I don't know what, what it is that you fancy this year, but it could be, you know, a magical Christmas if that's what you want. But a restful Christmas if you've had an exhausting year, a meaningful Christmas if you've had a year of milestones or a year of loss or, you know, whatever it is, just pick a word. You're, you can pick any word except the word perfect. That's uh, bad. Yeah, Not yeah. A, <laughs> does but not what, exist no no mm-hmm. and once you've done that that can be the lens through which you look at the season and all the things on the table and all the things that you're supposed to do and you it gives you a way to respond to requests and to prioritize because nobody can do everything that we'd like to do and then depending on what you've you've decided it might be that you question the very prospect of having that gathering you know, you said you've hosted for 25 years, maybe a year comes where you like, I'd like a Christmas, just me and one other person, for example. And if that is what you've decided is the most important kind of Christmas, you know, a solitary Christmas or whatever, then the gathering doesn't even come into it. And you'll find a way to, you know, pass that on to somebody else for a year. Or it might be that actually you do want to do that, but you realise that, you know, calm is a really important thing for you at that meal and so you realize that you have to somehow avoid the explosion and that might be something as simple as the seating plan it might be having a lot less alcohol and sugar it might be getting everyone to go on a long walk instead of sitting around in in a hot house with 15 people all day long it might be that normally you have three days of family and you decide we're going to have a lunch and then you know the invitation says come from 12 till 3 and then the bell rings at three and everyone gets given a tin gift and they all go home. And there wasn't enough time for the grenade to be dropped. So that's that's a really important thing up front, I think. But then obviously there's some years where it, you you have to, in terms of there is a, you know, a reason, a duty or something. Not every year. You never have to do it every year. But it might be that you have a much older family member who is, this is probably going to be their last Christmas. And you decide, my gift to them is to let them have exactly the Christmas that they want on that day. And that includes them choosing who's coming. And if that includes the grenade dropper, then that's fine. And we'll get through that. But you remind yourself that, you know, you've made the choice to do that. And so in that case, you probably want to put a little survival kit in your bathroom and write down the reason why you're doing this. You know, you might have a little poetry book in there read some poetry, escape from over there, or, you know, eat some chocolate or whatever you want to do, sell some aromatherapy, or step outside something, you know, that if it comes to that, you can extract yourself from the situation. Or maybe you've got an ally, you can talk to in advance saying, I think this is going to happen. If this subject comes up, can you please take the initiative to change the subject and I'll get involved I've done that (laughs) there's so so many things we can do and I think if there's a long a long period where people are in your home especially if they're staying over it can be really nice to create a quiet little space where people including children can go to you know little coloring area or some bean bags with some headphones and music or anything so that people don't feel forced to sit and talk to each other all the time because it's often not really a natural situation through the year we might gather but actually only speak for like 10 minutes because there's 
other things going on. And then suddenly three days together with alcohol and sugar and you're going to get through all the easy conversation. You're going to get to those big topics. So being intentional, I think, makes a huge difference. Mm. Fantastic. I love this. This feels really comforting and possible that we can have some agency over the day, the season, the expectations. We're not just at the end of everyone else's rope that we get to have, you know, some autonomy over how we want that day to look and feel. So let's talk for just a minute about this whole sense of chaos. And I don't, I'm curious about your research. I have a suspicion and maybe I'm wrong. I have a suspicion that Americans are particularly chaotic around Christmas. It feels crazy over here. And sometimes when we like peek into like the international windows of other countries, there's just a, it's just like a more sober minded grounded sense of the season, but over here it's manic. It is nonstop. It feels like it grows year after year after year, what's expected, what's possible. Then of course we have social media showing us every single possible bit of Christmas magic in the entire known universe. And we just start feeling like overwhelmed, this sense of chaos, too many moving parts, too many elements. So Beth, give us some tips on setting those expectations correctly? And what does it really mean strategically to find calm in the midst of Christmas chaos, which is a choice. It's a choice, but it's hard to resist. Oh my goodness, it is. And I was just listening to you taking a deep breath because I can feel that anxiety rising from the Everything that you're saying is absolutely true. I think it's America is the global leader in these things. So we love to, you know, you make all those (laughs) amazing movies that we all sit down and watch on repeat. And actually, like when my daughter was born on Christmas Day, we spent about two weeks all night long watching Hallmark movie after Hallmark movie. And they're amazing. We love them. But there, there is definitely an element of the commercialism which can be completely overwhelming and we've not even touched on the fact that Christmas sends so many people into debt and you know this is this year I think with the energy crisis cost of living crisis it's it's worse than ever for a lot of people and yet the noise is getting louder so the pressure to do it is is getting louder so I think there's there's all sorts of chaos there's the chaos of the dates all the things we're supposed to squeeze in before Christmas and you know with with two children at school and all the things they have to dress up as and the things we have to bake and all that stuff I'm very very aware of that before Christmas and then there's the chaos of all the noise which just makes it difficult to to figure out what actually you want to do so you can get swept along with it. And before you know it, it's January and you've got a massive credit card bill and you're regretting all those things you bought. And so it is very much about the intention. But I think thinking my response to you talking was to breathe. And I think that's absolutely vital in terms of preparing ourselves for all that is to come. We can, of course, switch off are we don't have to check social media. We don't have to watch TV. We don't have to engage in all those things. We don't have to go to the shopping mall. We do get sucked into it, but those are things that we can do to create some quiet, for sure. But also breathing in terms of literally just stopping in the middle of anything and doing some focused breathing, even 
when people are looking at you, you can still breathe deeply without anyone realizing, which is another thing to do at the table when the grenades dropped. But also all the things connected to breathing. So making space to go to a yoga class, to do some meditation, to what one thing I love to do is block out some time in the first week of Christmas, which like December, which always feels like an impossible ask to go on a writing retreat. Sometimes it's two days, sometimes it's five days. But it's become my way of going really calmly into Christmas because then I like that. I, it's a lot I have to get done before I go. And then by the time I come back, it's really festive and I'm delighted to be there, you know, and I haven't taken away from the most important time with my children or anything like that. But finding ways to create space in your schedule as well. So recovery time, if you know you've got a really big gathering, don't have another night out the next night and the next night, you know, put some downtime in and make sure you're carving out space to do some journaling or to just meet with a friend and go for a walk with a coffee, not always alcohol if you drink alcohol, you know, those kinds of things. Just taking care of yourself is so important because it isn't just that one day, it's a long old stretch. And the more we take in everything that, oh, it's Christmas, so I'll just eat this or I'll just drink this. And then that adds up and we don't sleep properly. And then come January, we're looking at that credit card bill with, you know, exhausted eyes and feeling overweight. And that's, you know, that's why all the gym memberships go up in January. And so all, all of that stuff, it's, it's really simple, I think. But it all begins with just having a bit of a pause right about now and thinking about these things. And then for every event you plan in, planning in some quiet time, those kinds of things. So, so breathing and space. That's great. I love it. Planning sounds simple, but it is the difference between charting your own course and then just sort of becoming swept up in the thing, because most the average person is going to have so many opportunities to fill their December calendar more than they, more than they can more than they should, more than there's room for. And so the tail will wag the dog if we just decide, well, let's just see how it goes. Well, how that generally goes is chaotic. And so rather saying, these are my boundaries, these are my limits, I'm gonna do one Christmas party and I'll pick and I will politely decline the others. And of course, nobody will die. Nobody dies when we don't go to something. I have discovered that I like a quieter Christmas in general. And I mean, season, I like a quieter December as opposed to tons of fancy dresses, tons of parties, tons of secret Santas, tons of, there's just so much to do. I prefer it really quiet and and small and cozy and close in. And so I've done that for the last couple of years. It's a huge difference the way I both enter and leave the season. Love that. And it's it's interesting for anyone who posts on social media with a tiny following or, or a big following to be conscious about what you're posting. Are you feeding this perfection machine with uh, your yeah. messaging and your photographs? Or are you saying, here's me going for a walk and sitting by a tree with a cup of tea, enjoying the quiet side of December, whatever, you know, just being being part of the conversation you want to be part of rather than feeding the other. I like that. Let me ask you this. And I would just, you've spent so much of your time and energy around Christmas and people's experiences of it. Obviously, you know, a lot of people's, they kind of internally suffer around the Christmas season. It's just a reminder of what they never had or what they wish they had and don't, or there's loss around it that seems to be intensified around Christmas. And so 
Christmas for a lot of people can be lonely and it can be sort of an impetus for grief. And so how do you suggest that we honor the melancholy that Christmas can sometimes bring without letting it take us under the waves? It's so important to talk about it. I think that's that's the number one thing, just to talk about it. When you were saying just before about all the party invitations and everything, I'm listening to that saying, if if that is you, that is a fantastic approach. And I've got also, some friends like that who want to yeah. be at every party and that's happy yeah. for them. They yeah. like that. So yeah. yes. But also I've experienced Christmases where I've had no invitations because I've moved to a new city and I don't know anyone and I'm really lonely and every you know, shop window where there's people buying presents and every restaurant where you can see people having a lovely time is a reminder of how lonely I was. And it's incredibly difficult. And one of the things that I was, I don't know why, but was really shocked by was how many people that I spoke to, I I would say more than 80% had a a very sad story connected with Christmas in some way, yeah. whether that was 80%. Because, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, something like that, just so many. Yeah. And we think, you know, the, the empty chair at the table is a very obvious one. The person who's always shared Christmas with us and isn't there this year or maybe passed away a few years ago, but it's Christmas. That's the time that that really comes to the surface. And it's, you know, that's a really big part of it for us. It doesn't go just after the first Christmas after, after they've gone. So there is absolutely that kind of grief. And I I think that was huge, especially in the pandemic, not just because so many people were lost in that year, but also because people realized they were grieving other things, the things that didn't happen that they'd hoped for, the weddings that didn't happen, the graduations that didn't happen, the jobs that were lost and all of those things. But for me, one of the the most, the, the stories I just couldn't forget were the ones of the people who desperately want children and can't have them and have to keep going to their family Christmases where everybody is just making it all about the children and it's incredibly difficult for them to be there and nobody asks them about it nobody considers that it might be hard for them they feel like they have to go and they have to hold their emotions in all day long and have a terrible Christmas and are at a time that they could be getting you know support and love from their family it's become a really really difficult time for them so there were a lot of those stories as well and so I think the the thing to do is think is remember that everybody's got something going on. And to be honest, everybody is grieving something or sad about something or feeling lonely at this time of year. It might not necessarily be on Christmas Day. It might not be the day that you meet up with them. But during the winter season, which also from a mental health point of view is very difficult for a lot of people, kind of compounds the problems, right? So I think the number one thing is to talk about it, to to have that conversation with yourself about what you want and need. Like we said, what do you need from Christmas this year? And then ask for it from people. Say to people, you know, I've had a really hard year. I probably am not going to be Mrs. Jolly Christmas this year. And it's not personal and I'd love to come, but I don't know if I'll feel up for it. So can we stay with a maybe for now? And I'll let you know, or can can we send each other something in the post instead? Because I don't think I'll be able to face people or, you know, what, what it, you'll know for your people what it is that you can talk to them about. But just the awareness of the kind of year that friends have had I think make a huge difference how about you I know that you've had a very different Christmas for the last few Christmases and I mean did you try and show up the same Mm -mm. did you go 
completely mm-hmm. in the opposite direction? Did you talk mm-hmm. to people? How did it go? The first year, I think I, and I, I kind of did it on purpose, but I overcorrected. As mentioned, I was like, it's October, it's tree time. I'll turn the air conditioning up and we'll put on a sweatshirt. And I just was so starving for something good. I was so starved for us to laugh and have a happy moment in this sad house that I was just like, literally, we're going to go over the top here. And so that was the first year. Now, last year, (laughs) last year, which was, we had a kind of a year under our belt of recovery. And, and so my kids are older, like they're, they're, most of them are launched. And so I was getting ready for Christmas still wanting it to be early. And I was trying to get everybody. One of our traditions is the decorating of the tree. I know that's not special, but is huge in our family. Like we, we have all like a, we have an ornament from every year. Every person does. And they're all it's just so every special. year. Oh. We look at them like we've never seen them before every year. We're like, remember last one? I mean, it just never runs out of magic, but I could not get my adult kids and my college kids wrangled to all be here. I mean, I tried every group text. I tried calling. I tried emailing week. I could not figure out the, the way to get everybody here on one day where one of them wasn't like, you can't do it if I can't be there. And I finally went up. Guess what people for the first time in all y'all's lives. And certainly in mine, I'm not doing this anymore. I've tried Y'all can't come. I'm not going to leave one or two of you out. And so I like, boop, 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 internet. I need to find a company that can come and decorate my house for Christmas. And so I just handed over my credit card and a whole little team came in. They brought a tree, all these fancy decorations. And we don't have fancy decorations. We have family decorations. They're trashy. And so it was all like color coded. I've never had this in my entire life. They did the mantle. and they left. And then the day after Christmas, they came back, they took it all down, they cleaned it and they took it. And it might've been the best thing of my entire life. (laughs) So I just said, tradition has always been big, big, big here in this particular way, but it's not working this year. And I want to have happiness and I live here. So I'm going to buy my Christmas tree and I'm going to pay somebody to make it pretty. So now I know you can still have like a great Christmas, even as you change out some of your like priorities which I did. And I might do it again this year because it was really nice. (laughs) So brave. That is amazing. And if you can do it, it just shows, doesn't it? Like there might be some difficult conversations, but it's your Christmas too. I think that's what we forget. It is your Christmas too. And sometimes you have a really hard year and you just need to Hold on to Christmas as this light at the end of the tunnel, right? I love that's that you right. that. That's and we didn't lose anything. We still were together and we still had our movies and we still had all the other like beautiful parts. It wasn't like, a, we didn't lose Christmas. It was just, this one thing was causing me anxiety. It was making me mad at all my kids. <laughs> and I'm just like, wait a minute. Wait, could I do this differently? I can. So, so the question for you is this year, are you going to have the perfectly color-coordinated tree with the old decorations on it? Or are you going to have right? the joy of two years later bringing huh. them out of the box? Which are you going to uh-huh. do? Well, they took all the pretty decorations with them. It was essentially like I rented a pretty Christmas. They brought it in and they brought it all back out. So all I have is family Christmas ornaments, but I'm just telling you, there was something about just walking in the door and my whole living room was beautiful and it looked like a grown up Christmas, which I've never had. And I'm like, 
And at this point this year, I'm the only one who lives in my house. Four of my kids are launched and my my youngest is a foreign exchange student in Spain this whole year. So I'm like, wait a minute, this is literally my Christmas. Like I'm the only one in this house. And so what do I want? I'm going to ask after this episode, I'm telling you, I'm going to sit down and think, I want a what Christmas? I want you, please, please tell me after Christmas how it was. And I think you've just written a giant permission slip there to anybody who stresses over Christmas food, for example, buy it in. Buy it frozen and warm it up in the oven. Put some cheese on top and or sugar on top or whatever. Or, you know, if you've got the means, get somebody to make it for you and bring it in. Or ask all the people to bring something. You don't... I, being the keeper of Christmas, I think, is the one who remembers that Christmas matters. It doesn't mean the one who has to do everything. And certainly not the way it's always been done. That is amazing. I love that counsel. Let me ask you this before we wrap it up here. Now you may have none, but just in case you do, have you ever had like a huge Christmas catastrophe or disaster or a huge fail? Because we all have, of course, something has gone really, really sideways. So have you ever had a story like that, that now is like, of course, in our family, when this goes wrong, it lives on in Christmas memory forever. Like we'll tell the story for the rest of our lives. Do you have any of these? Oh, yes. <laughs> what do you have? What do you have? Help us feel better. Okay. So, so my daughter was born on Christmas Day, right? So, after three days of labor, so we ate pizza. Fine. No problem there. The next year was her first birthday as well as her first Christmas. So, everybody just went insane with presents. And we spent the entire day unwrapping presents. And it was actually quite painful to see, uh-huh. you know. The waste and I was like she's one totally she's got no she's idea she doesn't need right. this stuff yeah but it it actually started a really interesting conversation with with our relatives and friends saying please don't buy our children plastic single-use plastic anything oh, and yeah. they never have since which has been oh. brilliant yeah but yeah. it was you know so that was that felt like a bit overwhelming but actually quite useful then the following year because I felt really guilty about basically telling my friends and family what they could and couldn't buy my children we decided to host my whole family which we'd never done because of previous birth and, and things like that and so everybody came around and we were absolutely determined that we were going to do everything and give them a lovely restful christmas Bearing in mind, I'd had a second child by this point, who was six months old. Oh, gosh. Feeding. And a two-year-old. And Mm -hmm. a two-year-old, yes. Mm -hmm. So my husband spent the entire day from breakfast through till dinner in the kitchen. We hardly saw each other. I spent the whole day looking after toddler and baby. We missed most of the presents our toddler was opening because we were running off doing stuff. And my family had a really nice time. I bet they did. (laughs) <laughs> when they left I was like my family's really nice we must have really insisted that nobody helped us for everyone to be sitting around but it was so funny <laughs> they all left and the children were asleep mm. and me and my husband just looked at the terrible chaos chaos mm-hmm. yeah the disaster of our house stuff everywhere paper everywhere and we just totally flopped on the sofa with a glass of wine and we both looked at each other we said we are never doing that again that was the worst Christmas of our life and then we both looked at each other and went I don't even like turkey and we realized that we've been eating turkey every year for Christmas and neither of us liked turkey I mean that's just so ridiculous it shows the conversations you don't have and so what felt like just for someone who loves Christmas I felt like I had lost 
an entire Christmas, like one of only, if I'm lucky, a hundred Christmases in my life had just gone in the trash because of that. But after that, we've never had turkey since. And we make a Christmas, flavors of Christmas pie on Christmas Eve with not turkey. And then it's all ready. And we just put it in the oven the next day. We go to the beach on Christmas day come back and eat oh. our pie and it's so oh, much I love this. we don't even do a christmas roast dinner we just have a pie and then whatever everyone wants to eat so oh the, the, that is so wonderful it worked out it, they always work out even if all they become is a funny that's memory right. and they i think that's what out. we have to remember yeah uh-huh. even in the middle of it it's like it will be okay uh-huh. it's just it's, uh-huh. it's christmas that's exactly right and everybody (laughs) breathe. I did that with my family years ago when I told you I hosted because I had the only kids in the family. And so, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of times family Christmases are centered around the glittles and I had the only littles. And so I remember, and and I would, so it'd just be kitchen all day long. So I remember us sitting around one night and having just the women had just done it all, like all the cooking, all the cleaning. We were so worn out and mad. And so we were like, oh, what can we do differently? So probably easily 15 years ago, maybe more. We said, oh, that's it. That's it. Here's what we're doing on Christmas for Christmas dinner every year. And we have not deviated one time ever since. So we what are do you gonna do? Have, we're going to have steak. Like, Steak's the like easiest thing in the whole world. Steak. <laughs> yeah, two minutes steak. We're gonna have steak. We're gonna have baked potatoes. We're gonna have one vegetable and bread. Bought bread, like rolls that you just pop in the oven. Baked potatoes that just pop. There's literally almost no cooking to any of that. It is like fake food. It's fake dinner, <laughs> and it takes no that time. Tastes amazing. Tastes amazing. We kind of look forward to it now. Like we buy really good steaks. Like, well, at least they're delicious steaks. A baked potato. This isn't even cooking. So we went from here to here on like stress and food prep and cleanup and all of it. And it's just so fun. Like it's so awesome. Why do we think? Like, who do we think actually said anyway? We have to do it this way. Like we all think somebody point. did, but nobody no, did. Nobody did. And, like, and what happened when you did that? Everyone just ate the steak and said. Thank you very much. We were like, steak, how special. (laughs) Like we were thrilled. Everybody was thrilled. And so I do think that we have the the opportunity to reimagine the elements of Christmas and the ones really pay attention to the ones that give us so much joy and connectedness and the ones that don't and make changes. Like, as you said, there's five stories of Christmas. Nobody does it all the same way. Nobody loves them all the same way. Like there's just a lot of room here to create a season in a way that serves our families and our souls and our bodies and just kind of the whole, it can be a gift. It can be a gift if we choose to let it be. It really can. And a gift to ourselves as well as to others. Let's not forget that. Really, That's really exactly important. right. Okay. Here's the very last question for you, Beth. And I ask all my guests this every series. And so I please answer this however you want. We get earnest answers. We get silly answers. We love them all. So you just do it however you want to do it. I borrowed this question from another author named Barbara Brown Taylor. And it says, what is saving your life right now? What a beautiful question. Mm -hmm. Amazing question. Writing. Writing. Yeah. Mm. I I love writing in the winter and the time between Christmas and New Year, which I call the hush, is such a beautiful time to write. I start nearly all my books at that 
time of year but also in the middle of the chaos it's another way of creating space it's like a breath on the page just, you know you might be noticing what you're seeing or writing about something else but absolutely writing is is medicine I think mm, you know I believe the same exact thing so calming it's so centering where do you write do you have your own little space Right here. So okay. this is a very old house. So it has two staircases and this is the back staircase. Yeah. And I'm basically under the staircase. I love it. It's the smallest room in the house, but it's super cozy and it's next to the kitchen. So it's warm. Yeah. And I have this big old desk that used to be in a science lab. So it's huge. It's basically just the desk. That's what I thought. I love my, this. Love it. And you just I wanted to- tucked in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But I, I really wanted to say to Jen, I was listening to you talking. I, I listened to your your reflection at, from the end of last year. It was so lovely. And uh, it's so nice, actually, for all of us to just do that into a phone or something, you know, because every year is different. But you were talking about how your book, Fierce, you didn't want to read it again because you you were worried that it didn't, it wasn't you on the page. And then you read it. And it was like, oh yeah, there I am. And it, the wisdom that you needed was in those words. And I think when we find the quiet, it's so much easier to connect with the wisdom that we already hold and often don't even realize. I think somehow our heart is way ahead of our mind in terms of what we know, what we need to know. And, and it's not just in writing books, just writing in a journal. Often we'll write something especially if we, you know, we've used ritual and we're in a kind of quiet space with a candle in the darkness or whatever it is. And and we just get really quiet and we maybe read a poem and then let the words spill out. Often we will release the wisdom that we need at that time without even realizing it. And I think it's a really beautiful thing to do at this time of year, because then next year you can look back and see what your heart already knew last year that you probably need this year. It's like we're laying these crumbs for ourselves in advance when we put words on the page at this time of year, I think. Hmm. Oh, what a lovely thing to say. Thank you. Thank you for remembering that back to me. I had forgotten that I said that last year and you're so right. We have a lot inside of us and the practice of getting still and quiet and just putting it down on paper. One of my favorite writers, his name was Henry now. And he said something like, I'm going to get his quote just a little wrong, but it was like, I do not know yet what's in my heart, but I trust I will find it as I write. And I have always found that to be true, that the practice of just beginning the writing process, I find out what's already in there. So thank you for that reminder that is available to all of us. You don't have to be a writer to do that. You just have to be a human who's willing to reflect and think and go quiet and go interior. And so, okay, Beth, yes, I love you. Will you tell everybody like where to find you, where to find your incredible work, where to follow you, all of that? Oh, thank you so much. Yes, what a treat this has been. You can find me on Instagram at Beth Kempton. When I'm busy working on a book, I'm on there a lot less, which is my commitment to my writing, but I am on there very often. And through uh, in the run up to Christmas, I post a lot from a self-care point of view to support people. I'm at dowhatyoulovefourlife.com. I have just released a new writing book called The Way of the Fearless Writer. And that is, I'm actually a Japanologist by training and it's kind of 2000 years of 
Eastern wisdom combined with my 25 year love affair with Japan and my own experience of writing five books in five years. Nothing on you, Jen, but still quite a lot for me with little children, you know. Oh, I can't even. Five in five <laughs> years. I can't believe you did it. Oh, my goodness. A lot of that is thanks to a kind of radically gentle approach to creative living really and that's all in that book and and I'm very excited to be working on a new one that's out next year which involves lots of travel to Japan which is it's interesting the very one of the very first things you said in this interview was about a life well lived and actually my next book is called kokoro which is a Japanese word for kind of heart mind spirit like the intelligent heart and the subtitle is Japanese wisdom for a life well lived and it's really yeah, I'm do, I, I've just about hit statistically the midpoint in my life. And it's really kind of a reflection on the first half and looking ahead to perhaps the second half, who knows. But asking those questions instead of having a midlife crisis, having a midlife pilgrimage to explore, like, what do I need to do now? What decisions do I need to be making now so that when I get to the end, whenever that is, knowing it will come at some point, to be able to go, yeah, I... I lived my life well. I made the most of it. So I'm very excited mm. about that. Oh, how wonderful. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm so happy to have met you. And you are just welcome back in my world and my space absolutely anytime. Let's talk about it when your next book comes out. Let's reconnect. I would love to. Thank you so much. What a joy. And thank you for blazing the trail with your decisions about Christmas. That's good. I know. <laughs> I hope listeners will let you know what that gave them permission to do. That's perfect. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much. Take care. Isn't that lovely? Doesn't that make you exhale? That made me exhale that whole conversation. I'm not kidding that I'm going to sit down and say to myself, I want blank Christmas, a blank Christmas. I'm thinking about it right now. I am going to set intentions, even if, so some of those are probably going to be inside our normal Christmas traditions and some are for sure going to be outside. And so anyway, I hope you love that. If you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I will have this whole episode. I'll have the, the show notes and then I'll link to all of Beth's stuff. Cause she's really got this whole canon of fantastic work to help us just live in just an intentional, lovely life. I really like her. I really like her way of being in the world too. So happy to introduce you to her if you didn't already know her. I'll also have all of her socials over there so you can follow her. Thanks for tuning in this season. I know this is a busy time. It is. You've got a lot to do. I hope maybe you're listening to podcasts while you drive around, while you run errands, maybe while you shop, maybe while you're decorating, maybe while you're cooking, whatever it is that you're doing. If our little show is getting to keep you company, I'd love that. And so Amanda and I and Laura and her team, just thank you. And we love you. And we love serving you every single year and definitely during this season. So everybody, Merry Christmas. See you next week.